holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Football is back. And yes, I know we did an Arsecast Extra yesterday on Thursday after the Man City game, but the situation, the circumstances, it's all, it's all just a bit messed up at the moment, isn't it? And football has come back after three months away, so schedules and podcast schedules aren't quite what they used to be. And I thought, given it's Friday, we should have a regular Arsecast. So that's what we're going to do. Would you like a podcasting tip pro tip from a podcaster who's been doing this for how long now since 2006 or into like year 14 of the arsecast here's a pro tip for you do not under any circumstances if you are a podcast host eat a handful of peanuts just before you put the mic up it's not it's not possible it's just it's i mean it is possible but nobody wants to listen to what that sounds like so if you are thinking of setting up your own podcast put that on the list of do's and don'ts very much in the don't column. Uh, Arsenal play Brighton this weekend. Again, it's very, very difficult to preview games because of everything that's going on. We just played on Wednesday. How are the players going to be affected, etc., etc. We just don't know. Um, we've got some injury worries, of course, with Pablo Marie. He's he's going to be out for some time. I was going to say we have suspension worries, but I'm not sure how worried I am that David Luiz is suspended for, for this game and the next game. But in terms of personnel and squad depth and, and what have you, we do have some some problems, things for Mikel Arteta to, to think about. But I'm not going to faff around for too long at the start of this particular podcast. We should just get on with the guest and uh, see where the chat takes us. So I am delighted to welcome back to the show from Football London. It's James Benj. Hello, James. Hello. Hello, indeed. Um, <laughs> I, was, I don't know how to describe that hello. It just caught me off guard. Um, look, let's just go back very briefly to Wednesday night to Manchester City, a game that Arsenal lost 3-0. Weird circumstances going into the game because of everything that's happening. Losing two players to injury inside the first 20 minutes. Losing 3-0. All kind of familiar in terms of um, what happens when Arsenal face Manchester City. And not much of it, a, you know, hugely surprising. But were there any takeaways for you from the game that maybe we haven't explored, you know, either on the blog or on the podcast yesterday uh, that myself and James did? Um, I found Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang just, I thought, I found that really interesting, his whole experience of the game. Because I think, you know, we saw that clip, didn't we, of, um, oh, I'm sure a lot, lot going around on social of, of him making that run. And I think it was mm. Eddie Nketiah kind of failing to spot him. I think it was um, Kieran Tierney, was it? Or no, was that the first one? Well, there was there's two. A, there's a, there's a, you know, in that opening 20 minutes, which I think we can agree was, you know, there were sort of half signs of promise there. Mm. 
there were three occasions where Aubameyang made these really interesting runs, kind of in from the left into the gap behind Walker and uh, Garcia at centre-back. And no one spotted him. And I don't necessarily blame the players that don't, didn't spot him because you've got Tierney, who's quite possibly never played with Aubameyang ahead of him. Um, and then you've got Nketiah and Willock. You know, mm. they're not they're not of the level of experience to just know to pick that pass. But, you know, I also noticed, the, he made, again, he made more interceptions than anyone on the pitch. He was running himself to the ground, particularly in the first half. Um, it, I just found it really interesting in the in the context of Arsenal sort of, as Arteta admitted, needing to prove to Aubameyang that this is a, a club where he can, you know, they can give him a stage to shine. And the first game back, he's been given the biggest stage in the world today, you know, the probably the biggest news story almost in, in Britain and he just gets to chase the ball non-stop for 90 minutes I'm, I mean I'm speculating here but moments like that you know if I were in a Bamiyang's position they're the sort of things that would have me thinking do I really want to sign up for another couple of years of this yeah um, there's so much we can talk about with his future but I just sure. I, I mean, felt really um, sorry is probably a, a, a bit much but I felt really um, disappointed on his behalf I thought it was Right. It felt very frustrating. Let me let me just sort of turn that around a little bit because it is really interesting and and the debate about Aubameyang from the left-hand side is one that mm. has raged ever since he he joined the club and people say it's a waste playing him out there but uh, a, I suppose the thing is he does score a lot of goals from that position and B, we don't really have anyone else uh, apart from this season when Gabriel Martinelli stepped up mm. a little bit we don't have anyone else who can score goals from that left-hand side uh, on a consistent basis we do have another very expensive striker in the shape of Alex Lacazette um, and we do have Eddie Nketiah uh, coming through who Mikel Arteta seems to rate very, very highly indeed so in that context, you know, the, the, the argument or the debate over Aubameyang from the left-hand side, and look, let me just say, I'm not averse to playing Aubameyang as a, centra, a central striker. I just wonder, would the discussion be different if Tierney had made that pass and put him in behind, if the first opportunity to play him in behind had been made? Um, you know, they were quite similar. Was it just before the lockdown there was a game... I think David Luiz was the guy who played yeah. the pass and just played the pass through the inside left channel. Aubameyang made the run, scored the goal, and everyone was delighted. So I just wonder, um, from Aubameyang's point of view, is the frustration that he's not being played central, or is it the frustration of being a guy who can make runs in that position without the people in the team to take advantage of that? Yeah, I would. I would probably lean towards the latter, um, and I think it's you know obviously we know David Luiz can play the pass, but he was um, busy doing other things <laughs> uh, <laughs> for a short period of time before he yes. was asked to go and take an early bath. Yeah, yeah. I you know in terms of the positioning stuff, I, I would agree with you that I don't really think it's a great problem playing him off that left flank. Uh, you know, his goal return, his assist return is higher there. Um, I think it almost just sort of serves to remind you how few players there are in, in this squad that are kind of capable of playing. It's not an easy pass. And I think it's a it's a pass that, you know, players like Nketiah and Willock, you kind of have to understand they've not played against a team like Man City before. But mm. in terms of players that could really, you know, play Aubameyang in on goal, what, you've got Luis, Xhaka, Ozil, and we mm. can have a debate about Ozil, to be frank. Like, yeah. I'm sure we will. 
Um, I, he's going to be. I, I can almost see the sort of the, the narrative of the season developing to a stage where Abamyang is making these runs. He's, he's trying to get in goal scoring positions, but there's no one capable of getting him. In there, yeah. So maybe maybe the issue isn't so much Aubameyang on the left, but the mm. lack of creativity yeah, behind him in order to exploit that. Yeah, hmm. and I just don't know what the solution to that is. It's and I don't know what, what how Arteta solves this. I mean, I kind of looked at that the, the team Arteta named, and you see some semblance of a plan. That you can kind of see what he wants to do, but I think you know if if Guardiola had lost. Um, you know, if he'd lost two senior players, if he'd lost De Bruyne and Sterling, well, he would have brought on Sane and Bernardo Silva. Mm. That's, I mean, I, I, Arteta, if he, the, the squad just what really kind of shone through for me was just how hamstrung that 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 Arteta is with that squad. There are so many players there who I just don't trust to do very much. I just don't trust them to to make a positive impact on the game. Um, mm. And I hadn't I hadn't really thought that before the City game, and we knew they were miles behind. Um, you know, we knew Arsenal were miles behind City, and we you know you understand that because Arsenal don't have limitless pockets. But like, God, this just is such a gulf in quality. I think that was the only thing that really stood out for me. You know, you've got Aubameyang, you've got Leno, and then you've got kind of mm. a bit of the, the rest feel to it. Yeah, I mean, look, there is clearly an issue with with the, the the depth of the squad and issues with the structure of the squad and the way the squad has been built and constructed over the last uh, number of years in a you know in what feels like a, a short term way. You know, you, you you think back to the January of twenty eighteen when we brought Aubameyang in. Um, you know, again, I I love the player, but you know we have to look at it in the context in which it happened. It was an attempt, I think, to get goals to get Arsenal back into the Champions League. You know, within a couple of months of Aubameyang joining, Arsene Wenger was leaving. You know, that whole thing was was uh, being um, reconstructed, if you like, with with um, Gazidis and Sanyehi and Sven Mislintat, and that fell apart. And you know, again, it feels like the decisions that have been made in terms of some of the recruitment were. Uh, were short term to try and achieve uh, re-entry into the Champions League, Mkhitaryan, blah blah blah, you know, um, and it hasn't worked out. And the problem is that when you buy players of that kind of profile, a they don't have a great deal of resale value, and b they're not going to really develop. Like Socrates is not a player who is going to come to Arsenal and develop as mm. a defender. You know, he was there to do a short-term job and hasn't been able to do it particularly well. And that's not necessarily his fault per se. Uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, uh, but it does raise those questions about how things are being con- constructed and does sort of hammer home the point that if Arsenal want to get back to where they say they want to get back to, they are going to have to do it differently. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't know... I mean, we, you know, I don't want to take it down this whole tangent. I just haven't seen any real evidence that the uh, the individuals in charge of building this squad, and that's not Arteta, that they're mm. actually doing a good job. Um, you know, it. I th- you know, people like Raul Sanye need time, and you know, we may only see how good he was at his job when he has finished his job. But you know, if you look at recruitment. Uh, there's been very little none of the short term moves have really strengthened the the squad 
I mean, you know, Bernd Leno looks like an outlier, and obviously, few of these signings that have been good go back to the the Mislin tap days. And then you kind of think, well, wait a minute, did they just kind of did they just get a lucky break with the players from from Hell End? Because they're they're also good that you know anyone could see. Here's a collection of really good young players. We've got to play them. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a you know I don't think that's a, something that should be uh, adorning the the cap of Edu and, and Sanye and and Husfami and. You know, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm obviously you and I were both in the press conference yesterday and it's a struggle to remember um, what Mikel Arteta said and when when it was embargoed to. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it was kind of really clear that, um, you know, that it, 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 there's just a, it, I think it's a frustration from him in terms of how this squad has been um, set up. And I think he's, he only really has kind of come to understand that when every option has been available to him. It's... It's short-term fixes. It's you know players on loan that I don't really see have added any great value to the squad, um, and you know gaping holes in midfield and, and defence. Yeah, I mean people people will you know playing devil's advocate. People will say Gabriel Martinelli is a, is an exciting young talent, which of course it is. Kieran Tierney, we hope will be you know the left back for the future. And I, you know I, I I liked him before he arrived, and he's a signing that I was happy that we made. Um, William Saliba, who, of course, um, every day uh, before he arrives at Arsenal becomes even better and even better. Um, I I said to somebody today, you know, I hope this guy is about three times better than uh, we all hope he is uh, in order to fix our defensive problems. And his reply was something along the lines of, well, if he's half as good as we think he is, he'll (laughs) make a big difference. (laughs) You know, but, uh, you know, this is still, um, these are still things which haven't quite worked out. There are question marks over things. And, and I mean, do you worry a little bit about the profile of the people that we have at the top of the club in terms of, you know, what their specialities are and what their, what their, um, I mean, if you look at Sanyehi, right, what is he? He's a, a deal maker, a closer, a fixer. That was supposed to be his role in that triumvirate with, with Gazidis and Mislintat. Mislintat was going to identify the talent. Sanyehi was the guy who was going to go out and, and press the flesh and get the deals done with his little black book of contacts. Unfortunately, it seems he needs a lot of help, um, often expensive help from, from agents yeah. to get those deals done. So you question the efficacy of, of his work. Edu, we don't really know what it is that he's doing um he came from a you know he's the technical director but the job that he did in brazil with the brazil national team was sort of more a coordinator's job an administrator's job it wasn't about uh finding talent uh, and we have a, a scout uh, francis uh, kajigao who has um you know uh, some real successes to his name but you know has been in the job or, or at the club for a, a long number of years i just wonder if perhaps the the balance there isn't quite right in terms of long-term talent identification and i think when you know we're not um speaking out of turn here or or breaking any kind of embargo in terms of the press conference but it does seem quite clear that Mikel Arteta is someone who isn't necessarily content with the squad as it stands and is definitely looking for improvements to be made i completely agree with all that i think the the edu thing is a, it's a really tough one to get you know, to get your handle on because, you know, we, we know Edu as a player. We, we all liked Edu as a player um, and kind of assumed we would be getting that elegant 
charming, if you can be charming while playing football, you know, that sort mm. of thing. But then I have never heard from him. He, uh, you know, there were some quotes from him distributed um, when he joined the club while they were out in the US. But, uh, and, you know, I, I understand Arsenal's point of view that they don't want uh, executives constantly fronting up and they don't want executives to be the talking point. And they saw what happened when Sanye made a commitment about players not running into the final year of their contract. But, you know, <laughs> we're all kind of of the view that we need to know what Edu actually really does on a day-to-day basis. You know, I've asked this question before and it's about, you know, I'm told it's about sort of knitting together, you know, the, the youth teams with the, the senior squad and, and making sure there's a, an identifiable Arsenal um, way. It's quite nebulous. Sure. Uh you know, and then obviously Sanye, you know, there have been some examples of him making uh, deals that clearly are quite imaginatively put together, like the Pepe deal. Um, Saliba deal, well, even? Saliba deal, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, but, but clearly there's got to be someone else doing the, the talent identification. And then, you know, the other sort of members of the, the football ex-co, I mean, I, I'd ask... You know, Husfami was was signed as a, a contractual guru, and correct me if I'm wrong, but no Arsenal player has signed a contract since Joe Willock. Like, you know, there are really. A, I, I am ninety percent certain that no one since Joe Willock signed in October, we've not had a first team player put pen to paper on a new deal. Right, and, and yeah, I mean, it's fair to say, isn't it, that there are some very um, substantial contractual issues uh, facing the club as it stands. Exactly, and they're starting to affect things on the pitch. It was, you know, I kind of felt it was kind of underappreciated in um, last night when Mikel Arteta said, I left David Luiz out because of his contract. And I, so I've left him out. You know, the, these issues with how Arsenal are, effect, are managing contracts are now being affected on the pitch. And Luiz himself, you know, I thought you and James discussed the, the interview very well. Um, you know, he it clearly even as much as he tried to say it's not an excuse, it clearly affected his performance on the pitch. Mm. So, you know, you you can sort of, for the last few months, it just was a sort of nagging thing in the background. It's pretty clear now that, you know, Arsenal's inability to just get a hold on, you know, their players, get them tied down to new terms. And I do sympathise with, you know, COVID has obviously had a major impact on the finances and it does prompt you to, to ask difficult questions. And you might, maybe you would have just taken Louise's option in normal circumstances. But Arsenal have also had about a month where they've known when the Premier League was restarting, mm. more than a month that they've known that they'd have to sort out temporary contracts for Ceballos, for Louise, for Mari. Um, it's not really if if you're supposed to have the best executives in the business, which is how Arsenal are supposed to, you know, compete with the teams that have more money than them. Then those executives have got to they've simply got to be getting everything right straight away. They've mm. got to be making these decisions. You know, I, I, they've got to be forcing Arteta's hand on Luis. If they think they can't justify um, giving Luis another twelve months, despite what Arteta wants then that just has to be a decision that's taken out of Arteta's hands. That's what they're paid to do. Mm. I mean, look, you you, you talk about Sanyehi and, and what he talked about himself when he took over in the job about improving contract management. We can't allow situations like the ones we face with Ramsey. Uh, and even he admitted that, that Arsenal made a mistake 
over Ramsey, but we saw it with Welbeck. You know, Jack Wilshire is a player who left for free. Um, mm. These are these are issues which don't appear to have been improved in any significant way. And it's sort of interesting that you know the the idea that um, we shouldn't hear from football executives because they might say things to which we then might hold them accountable seems. You know, <laughs> you know that's maybe not the right way to do it. Maybe you know, uh, fix the things that you said you were going to fix, or if you can't fix them, let's get somebody who can. You know, those sort of things. I don't think there's anything wrong with hearing from, you know, uh, executives or or hearing from Edu about what he's going to do. But obviously, with with uh, Wenger in charge, there was this figurehead at the club, so everything that that came out sort of went through him and that was lost a little bit I think with Unai Emery because of because of the you know the, the language issues and just because he didn't have that kind of presence Arteta feels like a guy who who who's a bit more aligned with Wenger than he is with Emery in terms of the way he sees his job and the way he sees uh, you know the work that that he's got to do so it might be a case that we hear more from Arteta meaning we hear less from the executives which is fine as long as he gets the kind of backing from the executive level that he requires to do the job that he says he wants to do yes i see i i I don't. I don't think the executives need to provide a running commentary on things. I don't think you know we need to talk, hear from Edu once a month. No, 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 no. Would, but I, I, it, it, it is very odd hearing from Arteta when his view of something is very obviously at odds with um, the view of those above him. Like, um, and the, this this David Luiz situation, it, it's just not how well-run clubs operate. Well-run clubs do not have. Um, agents with whom they have close ties going on TalkSport to discuss not just, you know, the contracts of players that are in their client base, but, you know, the overall running of Arsenal. Yeah. It, do, you, do you want to put that in a little bit of context for people who might not be aware of what, what exactly you're referencing to? Yeah. So, obviously, Keir Jarabshin, uh, well, I mean, we heard from David Luiz straight after the game. He sort of indicated that the contract had been playing on his mind while he was playing. Um, and Mikel Arteta subsequently confirmed in his press conference that, um, you know, one of the reasons Luis hadn't been picked was because of the contract hovering over him. Mm. Uh, in the intervening period, Keir Jarabchin, um went on TalkSport briefly. Uh, and he, you know, he kind of offered his own analysis on events, um, said uh, <laughs> that, you know, there's been... I don't, I don't really. It's quite, again, it's one of those things where it's quite difficult to say what he really said. You know, there have been talks. Uh, they've got. You know, he put. He managed to put a time limit on it. It's got to be sorted this week. We know that Arsenal have got till the twenty third, but um, it did seem like a way of exerting pressure on the club. Similarly, saying, you know, look, Arsenal have got other issues to, to sort. I would say, how does sort of how does Drabchin feel like he's in a position to to pass comment on that? Now, you know, obviously agents like Kia could could pass that comment on many clubs but um you know we know how how involved he's becoming with Arsenal um and one of the things I you know I don't know uh, Drabshin at all one of the things I uh, get when I talk to other agents and I've you know say we talk about Coutinho or Willian and you, we also say that these would be bizarre signings they wouldn't help Arsenal but you just never know because you know there is a clear influence from Drabshin uh, at Arsenal and it's obviously he will act in the interest of his clients as much as he's an Arsenal supporter um, 
I think, <laughs> I think yeah. that rather sums it up. It's, yeah. You can't have agents dictating your club's business. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the other thing that I thought was quite telling about the Drabchin interview on TalkSport was, was the way he sort of said, look, I'm not making excuses for David. Uh, and he's not making excuses for himself. But, you know, the way Arsenal didn't control the game, you know, that could add to the pressure that a defender's... Like, I'm not saying it's that, but, you know, it's, you know, it could be this, it could be that. You know, he was sort of um, uh, wheeling around it in a certain way to sort of say, well, look, it's not really David's fault. It's because, you know, Arsenal don't have a midfield, which maybe we don't. But, you know, uh, that didn't uh, play any part in the fact that, that a 33-year-old, vastly experienced central defender, you know, basically kicked fresh air to let Raheem Sterling score, you know? But this is a guy... This is a guy who who watches games in our director's box with yeah. Edu and with Raul Senyehi. And this video, um, you know, people can see it on the blog today. There's a link to the video of them high-fiving during a goal. And and look, you're in the media. You, you work as a journalist. You work around Arsenal. Uh, and you know that, you know, as a club... Um, they can be quite protective of certain things and certainly protective of the image of the club and they're quick to rebuff and to refute stories which they feel reflect poorly on on the club or various aspects of the club, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And that's their right. That's absolutely their right to do that if that's the way that they want to do it. I just wonder, how do you marry, you know, the idea of an agent um, who has no official role at Arsenal, but is mates with two of our executive committee, who watches games with our executive committee, going on national radio to sort of slag off the team and the quality of the squad uh, to try and defend his client. Why are we accepting that kind of stuff? It's the sort of thing that an agent would, would normally say to you, or might say to you in confidence, mm. and say, if you quote me on this, I'll never talk to you again. Because... <laughs> You know, if that came out in public, the another agent of a, another first team player had been saying that Arsenal would go, well, we're not working with him again. So I think it, it you know, again, it's one of those things that really says something about the, the confidence that uh, certain agents can can have around their business. And you know, there are clubs where it is very much in your interest to uh, have a good relationship with key agents because. They can sort you out with deals you might not otherwise get. Like Arsenal are not one of those clubs. They do not need agents to, you know, to help them out to this extent. Mm. If, if, you know, not least because in theory, Raul Sanye is supposed to know every agent and every football executive going. Um, and Arsenal still, as we hear from so many players, they still do have a great uh, pull. You know, they're the biggest team in London. They they have kind of every advantage going for them at the moment, other than Champions League football. They mm. they do not need to be a club that that has the where any agent has any real power to set the agenda. You know they, they should feel absolutely confident if they wanted to saying, oh you know much like United kind of tried to do with Mina Raiola saying we don't really want anything to do with Keir Jarabchum. We don't see this as uh, you know the potential upside of having Coutinho or Willian parked at our gates for a few years uh, as kind of being worth all this hassle. Yeah. It's just, the, the, I don't see what the reward is for, for all the, the costs that are being borne, not least from, you know, having David Luiz in your squad. Yeah. It's, and, and, and Cedric, 
you know, who, who you know, look, the, the circumstances were a little bit against him, but, you know, that's a, another loan deal on which we spent a lot of money, which, you know, he might end up never playing for Arsenal, depending on what happens this week in terms of contracts and in terms of, um, you know, the renewals or extensions that we have to sign. And, and we've seen other clubs. Uh, I think the Suarez situation is, is quite complicated because he's out of contract with Southampton. So there's yeah. a weird, a weird thing going on there. But, um, you know, while we're on Louise, we we have to reference the the situation with Pablo Marie and the unfortunate news that he is going to miss the rest of what remains of this season with uh, what is a serious ankle slash tendon injury, which you assume is an Achilles tendon injury, mm-hmm. which may require surgery, um, and it leaves Arsenal in a difficult position because, like you say, I think there's a, a, a reluctance to give David Louise a new deal, certainly not a two-year deal. And, you know, I think committing another 12 months to David Luiz at this point would be would be foolhardy from an mm. Arsenal point of view. Nevertheless, there is a situation in which we go into the game against Brighton tomorrow with only Shkodran Mustafi and Rob Holding fit as senior central defenders. Callum Chambers is injured long-term. Socrates has got a couple of weeks out, at least, uh, with, a, with a thigh injury. So he's going to miss quite a bit of football. And after that, you're looking at kids, you know. Uh, Louise, of course, is suspended for the next two games anyway because of his red card against Manchester City. So, you know, that's a headache for Arsenal. That's a headache for Mikel Arteta. Um, do you think it might force Arsenal's hand in terms of the Louise situation? Um, at the very least, maybe offering him a, a short-term extension. Um, whether or not he'll sign that, of course, is, is another question. Yeah, it, certainly it might it might force their hand. Um, again, I think this comes back to people above Arteta uh, having the you know the courage of their convictions. Uh, I would, you know, I mean, again, the numbers are what he's conceding a penalty every eight games, a red card every fifteen. Mm. Um, ultimately, you know, I, I have no idea how good a player Zek Medley is. I suspect that he, you know, what, whatever level he is at, he would not be the sort of player that actively harms your cause once uh, every six weeks. You, you, in the end, you, you kind of have to say, if you, if you choose to keep Louise till the end of the season and he agrees with that, I see a logic. You, you've just got to have a body there that can sit on the bench, mm. tie you over, and you kind of figure, well, he's probably not going to have another game like Man City. But, you can't, you know, you, in the end, if you, you are clearly looking at him and having question marks over, you know, this 33 year old that makes a lot of mistakes is on high money. Mm. None of those things are changed just because Pablo uh, Marie has an injury that it sounds like will also rule him out of early next season. You know, you are, you are saving about 7 million pounds if you don't take Louise's option for the next year. And I know that the talk was that they'd get him on a lower salary, but you'd still be, you know, paying significant money which is far better invested elsewhere in the squad. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I know that we've kind of, everyone's sort of given up on Socrates and we all understandably have uh, question marks over Mustafi that, you know, much like Louise, I think you, you've got to look at the long picture and say, okay, he's had, I thought he was actually quite good against City. He's had a few, a, a good run of games, but I need a lot more before I'm convinced that there's a real future. Mm. There, but ultimately, I'd, I'd still be inclined to say 
there's nothing we can do about these players. There's probably not going to be many takers for them in the summer. Better to persevere with them next season than, than Luis because mm. Luis, you have that out. And I know that Arteta wants to keep him, but every coach believes they're the one to fix uh, any player, you know, we, other than Emery with Mustafi. That's mm. the one exception. But every coach other than that, you know, we saw it with Brendan Rodgers and Balotelli. We've seen it with so many coaches and Luis. Um you know, the, the purpose of having a technical director and a head of football is to go, oh, look, Mikel, we we really do have faith in you. You know, we believe if anyone can get a consistent tune out of David Luiz, it's you. But, you know, these are the finances behind it. These are This is why we don't feel like we can take that risk. Mm. If you like a project, here is one more year of Skodran Mustafi. That can be your project for the next season. But um, good luck with it. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> um, but uh, you have to. I think a lot of the problems Arsenal have made in the in transfer markets over the past few years have been reacting to injuries and just sort of going, "Oh, it's it's eight million here. It's a loan fee there. Let's just do it. Let's just waste money on Denis Suarez." Mm. It's better to, ultimately. Right now, seven million in the bank saved on Louise's wages strikes me as better value than giving Louise another year just because you haven't got Mary. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know we wait and see what happens with, with Pablo Marie in terms of the seriousness of the injury, how long he's going to be out, and, and whether or not it has any impact on our desire to um, to sign him on a permanent basis. I suspect that that you know they probably will keep him uh, and go through with that, but uh, that'll come out in the wash, I'm sure. So, I mean, at this point, you know, given what's going on and and given where we are, you would be far more inclined to look to someone like Zach Medley or or, or Danny Ballard, who's the young Northern Irish central defender at the club, um, who, who does have senior caps, I think, or, or certainly yeah. at least was called up to the Northern Ireland squad. He went out on loan earlier in the season and picked up an injury and, and it was cut short. Um, so there are a couple of options. You'd be more inclined to just say, look, if Louise isn't going to sign or we're not going to sign Louise, let's give these kids a chance you know Mustafi Holding and Socrates could play all the games between now and the end of the season and they could just be they could just be back up anyway yeah I'd absolutely do that and you've got Tierney as well who oh yeah yeah is you know I don't think you can read much into how he performed as a centre-back in a glorified exhibition when Arsenal were two goals down but mm. if that's what you have to do in, in an emergency situation I think you just you, you do that rather than wasting money gambling money and it's also just about you know is it is it helpful right now to have the david louise contract hanging over your head you know whether it's something that you're just gonna have to solve next year mm. or whether it's something you're gonna have to solve um at the end of the season um sometimes i think it, it even if it means a sort of short-term pain well arsenal are going to gonna go through short-term pain anyway this season yeah just, just take that and sort of clear the decks a bit. Um, I think David Luiz is a really, really nice guy, um, incredibly charming. Um, but I do think you know you've got to. It's a problem that's hanging over Arteta's head, and you know, as we've said earlier, it's a problem that's starting to have an impact on the pitch. And I think, where possible, it's incumbent on you know senior people at Arsenal to see those problems and um, deal with them which I know made it sound a bit like they're sort of going to get a Terminator <laughs> to clear out the Arsenal squad. But I just mean, you know, 
just be a bit proactive. Just say, this is going to be an issue, but we can nip it in the bud. This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of issues... Um, and one which, you know, certainly hasn't been nipped in the bud uh, because it's been ongoing is Mesut Ozil. Um, not in the squad for the game against Manchester City. You know, I I don't think his omission from the team for Manchester City would yeah. have surprised a single person. The omission from the squad altogether is a different message. And, and in, in the press conference last night... Um, Mikel Arteta was quite open about it. And he actually said that. I've been very open with Mesut from day one since I joined I thought uh, when I thought he was fit and willing and he wanted to perform at the level he can do. He has played every game with me. Um, and he said, the moment that I see he is ready again to do that, I will treat him like anybody else, um, which is quite an interesting and pointed thing to say. Uh, you know, I think it's good. He's He's leaving the door open. He's not, you know... He's not cutting off his nose to spite his face or anything like that. Um, he said also, I think I have been more than fair with him, um, which suggests that, you know, perhaps yeah. there have been issues for him to deal with uh, and things that he has had to contend with since he took over as manager. And he says, I think he's responded in many games the way I want. That's it. And he said, there's a lot that's happened to him in the last few weeks. So I don't know what that is. You know, he's he's become a father recently as well. So maybe mm. there's something going on there or he's just very tired uh, I, I don't know but you know it is uh, another chapter of the what the fuck is going on with Mesut Ozil book which has been written over the last couple of years at Arsenal I just uh, I feel, I, if nothing else at least you know you're you're flicking through it and you can see it's sort of like oh there's only a hundred pages left <laughs> the end is sort of the end is inside. I think the frustrating thing is like, you know, I don't want to force this analogy too much, but it really feels like we've kind of read these plot points before, mm. um, you know, right down to that tweet, which was, um, that I know there are an awful lot of people, I'm sure who listen to this podcast who love watching Mesut Ozil play. Um, and guess what? Like when he's on form, I'm sure Andrew, you'd agree. It's still, you know, that 45 minutes against Chelsea, he can still be a joy to watch. But yeah. if you're not seeing through the implication of this tweet, you know, you kind of got to ask yourself serious questions. Um, it is about saying, look, I still, you know, I love this club 100%, isn't it? You know, 100%, no matter what, mm. I'm 
invested in this club. And then I, I have to ask then, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Arteta was referring to, but if you're hundred percent invested in a club, am I to then assume that the one goal and the one assist uh, Arteta got from 10 Premier League games where you started, is that you at a hundred percent? If so, well, uh, if that's your level, thanks a lot for, um, for hitting that level. Uh, but that's just not good enough for Arsenal. Um, and if it's not, I guess maybe that is some explanation for why Ozil didn't travel. It's just, it's another thing that is draining for, it must be draining for Arteta. Mm. It was draining for Emery. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things where I don't have much sympathy with him, but I thought he was continually handed a really difficult brief um in terms of managing this Ozil situation, you know, it was well known. And I think he eventually, he felt compelled to admit that it was club policy to not really play Ozil, to sideline him. Now, whether that's club policy, you sidelining him because you don't think he's good enough or you just are trying to come up with reasons to convince him that from, for a football, from a footballing perspective, he'd be happier elsewhere. I don't know. Mm. Um, but it's, it's hard to see what the way out is, but again, I think kind of you, the, a, a way out needs to be found that suits all parties. Um, if Ozil really does care deeply about Arsenal, I don't know what the situation is. I don't doubt that he cares deeply about Arsenal, but you know, if you do, then you, do you see that, that that this is a really toxic situation um, that you are not free from responsibility for? Mm. I, I, I don't know. Do you see a way out before the end of his contract, or is it a case that it's just a matter of eking out whatever you can get from Ozil um, as a player who, it's fair to say, over the last couple of years, in terms of his form, in terms of his uh, availability, his fitness, his his end product, his contributions, has waned Massively, uh, and people can point to all kinds of external factors, and they can point to it being Emery, for example, or his tactics. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and defend the kind of football that we played under Unai Emery, but you know, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't something that started under Emery himself. You know, to the towards the tail end of the Wenger uh, era, you know, he was beginning to 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 slip away from being the player uh, that. that that you know was such a joy to watch when he had that season when he created you know 19 assists and almost broke uh, Thierry Henry's record you know that that sort of vision and creativity and impact in games is not something he has had for for a long time so you know even if you love Ozil you can't be blind to to what he's producing or not producing um so f- from an Arsenal point of view, it, you know it's very difficult. It's going to be very difficult to 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 find a new uh, destination for him, and he might not even want to go until his contract is up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know it is a tricky one for for Arteta to to try and handle um, with or without the support at executive level. We don't quite know because um, you know when you talk about Emery uh, saying it was club policy, he sort of said it, and there was like complete silence from everyone behind him. It was like, he yeah. said it. And then it was like, Just, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody gave him any backing in that regard. And then eventually Emery sort of capitulated and had to bring him back into the team because he needed creativity from somewhere. Um, so, I mean, how do, how do you see it 
how do you see it playing out? Or is it just one of those situations that's too difficult to be definitive about? I, I certainly couldn't couldn't be definitive about it. In terms of, you know, if the club feel that they just don't want him around next season, you know, as far as I can see, the only way out would be to pay up the overwhelming majority or perhaps all of the final year of his contract and just say, mess it here, here's a, a farewell payment. But we just think, you know, we're better off the two the two parties, mm. you know, the club and yourself just parting ways. I don't again I I, I mean and this is me speculating here. I don't know if that's if that's something that Arsenal could do. I don't even know if it's something they could afford to do. Mm. But I think uh, otherwise that there just has to be from across the club, um if you don't think Mesa Ozil is a player you want to build around, then you're gonna need to have the courage of your convictions to to stick by that. Mm. Um, and that's the only way it stops being an issue. I think the problem with with Emery's management of Ozil was that he didn't manage to, you know, whenever something went wrong, his default panic reaction was, right, I'm going to bring back in Ozil. And, you know, we, we all knew that he wasn't setting up the team to, to get the best out of Ozil. Mm. He was, you know... There was not a great relationship between the two of them. And so Ozil didn't play very well, didn't play dreadfully, but didn't play as well as he could. It was dropped again and it just kept becoming a story. You know, if you want this to not be a story, then you you kind of have to take a definitive stance either way. Now, maybe that's Ozil kind of sits on the bench quite often because there's not, as you said, there's not really a convincing argument for why he wouldn't have a role in a 20-man squad against Manchester City yeah. from purely footballing terms. If nothing else, it's the 95th minute, it's nil-nil, Arsenal have a free kick in a wide channel. You'd want to be able to bring on Ozil to take it. Mm. Um, again, I think it's about being able to back Arteta publicly and privately uh, in whatever he feels is the right thing to do. I think everyone is just, it's just, it's tiring. It's exhausting. Mm. It's exhausting for fans. Um, I think I, I really hope that, um, you know, when the time comes, when, when, when Mesa Ozil departs, that there's a, it will retain some sustained effort, but we can remember just how great he was for longer than people remember now. Maybe not as long as, as Arsenal would have hoped. Um, But the situation is exhausting. It distracts from, other things it distracts Arteta from other things mm. again it just needs it needs someone it needs the, the, the people at the top of the club to really you know take a, a decision here whatever that is um, and for Arteta to be in a position where he's con- he knows he can stick by his guns mm. I, I don't I, I don't know I just, yeah no I, I talk about it, I don't know what to do with that anymore yeah it is. It's, it's ex- extremely complicated. Um, but, you know, we'll see whether or not there is that leadership and that, that decision-making. Um, let's move on just very finally towards the game tomorrow against Brighton. Another uh, away game uh, for Arsenal. I think it's, what, four uh, out of the next five are away from home. Um do you envisage many changes from the team uh, that played against Man City? Was it about getting some of those players up to speed, or 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 how do you see this one going? I mean, 
the City game, because of the difficulty of it, it never felt to me like a game we were going to win. So this was the one I was looking at as, mm. uh, you know, as as the game in which we could start again, if you like. Um, it didn't go particularly well uh, on Wednesday night. There were uh, injuries. Xhaka will be out. Um Pablo Marie will be out. Uh, so he's going to have to make some changes. And, and obviously there are going to be physical uh, effects on the players having played 90 minutes, having not played for, you know, three months. Kieran Tierney, for example, hadn't played 90 minutes in, in over six months. You know, so it, it feels like because of the schedule, we might see changes which are more predicated on the the physical aspects of what's going on than the performances that we saw on Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Someone, I think Tierney looked pretty knackered towards the end of the game. Um, I guess we'll see players like Holding come in. Midfield's quite an interesting one. Mm. Assuming Gwendouzi is now a starter for pretty much every game left this season, mm. which will be interesting considering how much he runs around the pitch. It does seem to have limitless energy reserves, but if anything's going to uh, test them, it'll be the next few weeks. I wonder if we might see someone like Nelson come in on the right wing um, and maybe then you can put Saka at left back um, and give Tierney a bit of a break. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a tough one to call. I just think at the moment there are, you know, I was told there are a lot of players with niggling, in, or a lot is probably exaggerating, a significant number though of players with niggling injuries. Mm. Obviously we saw Socrates wasn't ready. Um, Lucas Torreira is still a way off. I think that injury was just awful timing. Um, and he probably would have been back by now under normal circumstances, but it's not a great way to recover from a broken ankle. So, you know, remarkably, everyone was saying beforehand, it'd be great to see how Arteta copes with a, a full squad. I think the squad is pretty much now at the stage where you call it threadbare. Mm. So <laughs> a lot of those changes are just going to be enforced upon him. Yeah, and I mean, there's a few little injuries, aren't there? There's a few sort of aches and strains, which might go yeah. some way perhaps to explaining why uh, Nicolas Pepe, for example, wasn't in yeah. the in the squad, or not in the team, rather, for, for the game against City. So those sort of little ongoing issues. Exactly. Mm. Um, I mean, how much the best, how much the best thing for players with, with those strains like Pepe is to just play through it I mean, again, Arteta doesn't know. He's got no. Uh, he's got nothing to uh, to fall back on. No past example of how managers coped in yeah. this situation. It's going to be tough. Uh, Brighton are also, I think, are a really good team. I don't particularly think that ha- having that experience of playing in lockdown uh, in a closed stadium will help any more than having a f- much fresher squad. Will. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a really hard game. I. F- fear for Arsenal a little bit. I think this might be a crashing back down to even further game. Okay, well, look, we'll see what happens. Um, it, you know, it's it's difficult to know how Brighton are going to be affected by this, but I'm not sure. I think you're right that, uh, you know, playing just three days before is that much uh, of a benefit to us. But look, they all have to get into this schedule. They all have to get into this sort of round of games where they're playing every three or four days. Uh, and look, uh, there's nothing like a good win to change the mood. So let's hope that, <laughs> let's hope that that happens uh, and we can enjoy what's uh, left of our weekend. Am I right in thinking that this game uh, being broadcast live at three o'clock on a Saturday is a is a game changer? It is a game changer for the United Kingdom. We uh, have, Arsenal uh, do it again. Absolutely, first on match of the day, first on 3D smell-o-vision broadcast, first with it, floodlights. 
We are game changers, absolute game changers. Whatever else, whatever else about this club, uh, we can take heart in those weird, strange records that we make. And let's hope uh, that it's a it's a win on our first uh, three pm game or the very first game to be broadcast live in the UK at three pm on a Saturday. James, as always, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter at James Benge. That is at James Benge, or you can read his stuff in London. I wasn't going to faff around with the start. I'm not going to faff around with the end. This is a sort of wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, arsecast. Let's just keep fingers crossed for a good win against Brighton. Any kind of win, a good win, a bad win, an indifferent win, a fluky win, a lucky win, a convincing win. There are all kinds of wins you can have. I'm not picky. I'll just take a plain old regular win if that's okay with everybody. Once it's a win, I am all right. But look, we know it's a, it's a difficult time. It's difficult circumstances. We have issues with the squad and the team and everything else. So who knows what the fuck is going to happen. What I can tell you is that we will be covering the game on our blog with a live blog, as always, plus all the pre- and post-match stuff on news. So you can get stats, player ratings, match report, all, all that kind of crack. So make sure you join us for that. Hopefully it'll put a bit of a spring in our step and help us enjoy the rest of the weekend. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra to discuss whatever happens against Brighton tomorrow. So until then, folks, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Talk Shy Radio, talking shy about sport 24 hours a day. Now, after Arsenal's heavy defeat in Manchester on Wednesday night, all the focus is on the terrible performance by England international centre-half Davy Lewis. It has put his future at the club in doubt, but his agent, Keith Joachim, says he wants to stay. Keith is on the phone now. Hello, Keith. Oh, hello. Not a great night for your client on Wednesday night in Manchester. No, look, I'm not here to make excuses for Davy or anything like that, but, you know, there are some mitigating circumstances that you have to take into account in every game, every performance, every player. Okay, well, what exactly were the mitigating circumstances in which Davy completely missed the ball, kicking fresh air, allowing the striker in behind him to score the opening goal? Well, look, of course, Davy takes responsibility for all that, but if you're to look at the passage of play, what about the midfielder who didn't make the tackle and the manager who picked that midfielder? Now, I'm not saying it's not Davy's fault, but there are other things at play. And when he conceded the penalty in the second half by kicking the opponent straight in the testicles while the ball was up the other end of the pitch, how do you view that incident? Look, I'll admit, at first it looks like an ironclad penalty, but what Davey told me was that he saw a wasp 
A wasp on the guy's groin and he didn't want him to get stung in the helmet so he tried to just kick it away like a good citizen. Unfortunately, it did look as if he just, you know, smashed him right in the bollocks, but that's not the case at all. And I suppose the big question that people will have is over the red card. In the current climate, you would have to say that reacting to what appeared to be a fairly reasonable referee decision when he clearly handled the ball just outside the box by then coughing in the face of the official wasn't really acceptable behaviour for anyone, let alone a professional footballer. Oh, that whole thing's been blown completely out of proportion. Davey, he just had a cracker before he came on the pitch and a bit of it got caught in his throat. And if he hadn't coughed, he could have choked to death. Is that what people want? To see footballers dying on the pitch? Again, I'm not shirking any responsibility on Davy's part, but really the true culprit is whoever gave him the cracker before the game. And there was a manager. So if you want to blame anyone, blame him. As always, Keith Joachim, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I've never heard anyone so full of shit in my entire life, but it's always entertaining. This is Talkshite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. When we come back, Sam Allardyce's COVID workout. Just to be clear, that's lying on the sofa eating cake. Talkshite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.